business incubators or accelerators have helped launch some of the greatest companies of our time, and one is hoping to fund the next unicorn looking to save the world. Dawn Lippert is the CEO of Elemental Accelerator, a company investing big money with the hopes of a better tomorrow. Dawn joined IT Visionaries to discuss the work her company is doing in places like Hawaii, California, and Asia, and she underscores the importance of investing in communities and why we cannot afford to stop funding a solution for climate change. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. This podcast is created by the team at mission.org. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, host of IT Visionaries. And today we have special guest, Don. what's going on? Hello. Aloha. Good to talk to you. Great to chat with you as well. So we're going to be talking about a bunch of the cool stuff that is going on at Elemental Accelerator, and we're going to get into your background. So let's get into it. How did you get started in technology in the first place? Sure. So I came at it from the desire to work on a really big problem, climate change. And when I was in school, I was studying energy and climate and just got sort of really interested in the idea of technology commercialization and how we bring to market the new ideas and new technologies that would be needed to solve climate. And went to work in consulting. I was really fortunate, actually, that just a couple of months into working our large consulting firm in D.C., this Hawaii project came across the desk. And I'd already been doing some work in Hawaii when I was in school. And they said, hey, can you work on this? It's this sort of really interesting project where they're trying to take a state and flip it from fossil fuels to clean energy. And it's a partnership between the U.S. Department of Energy and the state of Hawaii to do that first with one state and to start in Hawaii, where it makes sense economically, there's amazing renewable resources, and there's opportunity to do this and show others how it's done. So that sort of kicked off a, a journey <laughs> uh, working in Hawaii on, on clean energy and climate and really figuring out how to apply and deploy technology toward that goal. Yeah. So flash forward to today. Tell us a little bit about Elemental Accelerator. What's the scope of the organization at this point and where are you going? Sure. So Elemental, we have two headquarters. We're based um, here in Honolulu, where I am today, and then also in the Bay Area, where about half our team sits. And we are a nonprofit that funds startups that are doing really innovative things to solve some of our most urgent environmental challenges. So it includes climate, but also plastics and water, food and agriculture, and mobility and transportation. So every year we fund about 15 companies up to a million dollars to deploy their technologies and get steel on the ground and really show how we can make progress toward uh, climate goals and these urgent challenges. So, so far um, over the last 10 years, we've funded 99 companies. So this year we'll mark our 100th company um, within the portfolio. And each of these companies is doing something that solves some kind of urgent environmental challenge in Hawaii, in California, in Asia Pacific. And the companies come from all over the globe. We actually look at over 800 companies every year to pick our 15. 
So we get a really good pulse of what's going on in technology, what's going on in the market, and then select about 15 companies to work with and to demonstrate with in these key markets. Yeah. And so and we're, we're going to get into the portfolio companies in a little bit because I want to talk through some of the really cool things that you all have invested in. But I wanted to, to take a step back and just like from the time that you know, you started it to now. Kind of, did you uh, do you ever think that it would get this far? Um, that you'd <laughs> kind of have the traction that you have? Not necessarily. I mean, I think it's just building it sort of brick by brick. I mean, what's kind of interesting in this space is that there's an overall consensus, I would say, that in order to really move the needle on climate and some of these tougher challenges, you need three things: you need technology, you need policy, you need markets, and it's it's really pushing on each of those three things that will will solve these challenges. And technology, of course, right, you know, as the cost of wind and solar come down significantly, as, um, you know, power electronics come around, as we have sort of computing, we can apply artificial intelligence to energy. All of these technology components are really critical. Policy is also very important. The regulatory side, you know, many of these industries, energy in particular, water, are heavily regulated. Um, so the policy and government side is really important. Markets, too and essentially setting up the demand and the, and the market mechanisms for technology to scale. But I think the, the fourth dimension, there's that sort of triangle. And the fourth dimension that, that we've leaned into is this community piece. And I think what we've realized over the last 10 years is that as we're deploying technology with, you know, into communities, into real locations, building real projects, is that there is a, a really concrete role for a community in defining what it is that they need from technology and sort of accepting projects and supporting it. And that's the piece that we've really been able to lean into in Hawaii, in Asia, and in California. And I think that's also led to the scaling of this model in a really fast and profound way, because that community piece is actually quite difficult. It requires a lot of trust. It requires sort of thinking about community-based organizations as technology partners, which many people... (laughs) you know, might not originally go there. Yeah, totally. And really sort of iterating and learning on that model. So I think that's sort of figuring that fourth dimension out has been a, a lot of the key to our, our scale and our work. Yeah, I, um, I worked a lot in the nonprofit community. And, um, you know, it's always one of, those, one of those things that I always thought as well is like, there's so many nonprofits or community organizations or, you know, whatever it is that have like a really close connection with the group of people that they're trying to serve, but they're like technologies and processes and things just like need a total rehaul um, or like the way that they're doing about it. And just kind of like the general like model help to figure those things out. And it really is once you start seeing like the different pieces that go into the, into an ecosystem, it's pretty eye opening to see like, Hey, we could probably layer on some technology and have like a much bigger impact than we're having or, you know, save resources or things like that. Yeah, it's, it's, it, the two communities haven't worked that closely together in many places. And yet when we think about, I mean, just even this morning a report came out about how much more families who are poor or low income spend on energy and water than families who are not. And they actually spend, you know, not just as a percentage of their income, they actually are spending more. And so it's, there's a real nexus between these issues. And that's one of the things that we've really leaned into is how do you make community-based organizations actually part of projects? And I can talk a little bit about how we're doing that, but actually really bring in that dimension in a, in a powerful way that can really help the company 
too. In Hawaii, we have a saying, you know, you go slow to go fast. And it's about building trust, about understanding the markets in which you're working. And what's interesting too, is that so many of the same lessons you learn by doing things really well with community actually apply for your largest customers and scaling in general, which is like building trust, leading with relationships, really listening to your customers and their needs. It's actually a lot of the same skill set. So that's what's been really sort of eye-opening and, and really fun about working this problem with entrepreneurs. Yeah, I mean, well, and 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 I definitely want to hear some of the things that you're doing. But I, another just point on that is that so often we get in a position where an organization, you know, that started 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever it is, was built with like phone trees in mind or telethons or, you know, like just all these different things that like no longer are relevant. But like slowly over time, it's like some of those things eke out, but the other ones don't. And so like really where the rubber meets the road for a lot of those organizations is like the individual one-on-one relationships with the people that they're trying to help. And that's like, you know, that's their core competency, right? It's not you know, organizational structure. It's not, you know, IT or technology. It's not, you know, it's not teleconferencing. It's not all these things that, you know, they can leverage now potentially off the shelf or, or otherwise. But um, anyways, so what are some of the things that, you, that y'all are doing? Well, one last thought on that is that I actually think that's like the really key piece then to figuring out how to scale climate technology because and environmental technology because ultimately you ha- the stuff has to be in the ground somewhere. So if you can kind of pair that Intel with companies that can scale very quickly with really important, effective technology, that I think is a, is a recipe for scaling solutions. So yeah, no, that's a great point. Yeah. So what are what are some of the things that you're doing? Yeah. So I mean, so we've funded now, as I said, almost 100 startups. So a couple of the you know companies that we're really excited about are I mentioned that we were working in water. We just closed up a project in water with a company called Zero Mass Water in our portfolio. And actually, they just raised a um, their latest round of funding from BlackRock, which was recently announced, about $50 million. And with them, we deployed 600 hydro panels in Australia. And a hydro panel is kind of like a solar panel, but instead of creating electricity, it creates water from the air. And so that project alone will be able to displace over 700,000 water bottles a year and provide um, water in, a, in an area of Australia that has significant drought. So that's one of the things we're working on in, in Asia Pacific. Right now, we're really interested in, in working with companies that are um, sort of responding and pivoting with COVID. And so a couple examples there. One that may be interesting to you is a company called Numina. And Numina deploys sensors. And they're basically a smart city company that deploys sensors that can anonymously monitor street-level activity, which includes everything beyond just cars. And I didn't, you know, have much of an appreciation for this before I got deep in with Numina, but essentially we're really good at counting cars in cities. You know, through a wire across the road, you can count how many cars go by. But we're not that good at being able to tell everything else that's happening in a city, which means that we're not that good at planning for pedestrians and bicycles and all the other, all the things we want to happen in a city or in safety for those folks. So Numina is now helping over 20 cities develop insights into how people are moving around. And it's become this really important and critical tool to actually figure out people are social distancing and how they're changing their mobility behaviors in the, in the course of COVID. So some really interesting startup pivots or sort of like startups leaning into their core technology and being able to serve sort of cities and society in a new way right now. 
Well, yeah, I mean, and that's where some of the hardware software plays are so important. I mean, we actually did a, a whole podcast series on Futurist Cities where we were looking at a bunch of different things like that. And the crazy thing, one of the episodes that we did was with one of the senior leaders at Waze, and they were talking about how they had more information about like city to city transfer than those cities knew about themselves, right? Because they understood the flow from one county to another, from one city to another, how like the different levers that like, oh, if this intersection is blocked, you know, seven miles away, it means that there's going to be, you know, X, Y, or Z. And it just speaks to the volume that like having all of these sensors, having IoT devices everywhere, all of this is going to be like a massive problem. And you need you know, either venture capital or some type of investment, whether it's like a corporate arm or whatever, to solve those problems because they're just too difficult. You can't bootstrap like a hardware company. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, and especially if you're coming from a place, from a background in which like you don't know anyone, you don't have any connections, you don't have anything like that. Like we need things like Elemental to be able to figure out how we can get these really good ideas and turn them into companies and to, you know, corral resources around them. Yeah. And that scaling point is so important. I mean, one of the things that we do, I mentioned we're a nonprofit. So we have, we work very closely with the Navy, with um, philanthropy. Then we also have a really sort of robust corporate partner program. And that's been just such an important ingredient to connect companies with the, whether it's corporate venture capital folks or the innovation folks within companies to provide a window into what's coming down in the market, like how entrepreneurs are sort of thinking about market changes. And right now, you know, how to sort of move technology at the speed of societal change. Because right now, you know, I think technology is always sort of accelerating in terms of change, but right now more than ever. Um, and we're seeing even some of our startups accelerating their speed of change and, and what they're doing. So I think that like nexus between corporate and startups is even more important than ever right now. I mentioned each year we are looking at over 800 companies to select ours, but we're also picking out of that whole 800 and connecting them with our corporate partners so that, you know, if your folks are really interested in sort of like artificial intelligence applied to energy assets, right? We may only select one of those each year, but we're actually looking at dozens. So making sure that we can bring that innovation right into sort of the C-suite or right into decision makers at corporates has been a really important factor in accelerating overall innovation and solutions. Yeah. And it's one of the things we talk with a lot of our, you know, CIOs and, and technology leaders on this show about is like, it's really hard to try to figure out where innovation is going to come from. And like, you know, short of reading, you know, like crunch-based news and things like that, and just kind of watching the ticker, or if you're big enough and you have a team that's dedicated toward that, looking for these things and having an eye out is, is pretty tough. So and obviously, you know, our listeners can check out elementalaccelerator.com to check out your, uh, your portfolio companies and some of the cool things that they're doing. But, you know, it is, it is hard to find that type of innovation. And there's a lot of people who are, you know, trying to look at that. But it starts with, uh, like you said, turning 800 companies into 15. I'm curious, like, what is the criteria that you look for? What are some of the processes that you go through as you are looking at? potential investments in portfolio companies? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. We're in the middle of it right now. So it's really top of mind. Um, we're essentially, so I mentioned we're, we work in four, in five um, verticals. So energy, mobility, food and agriculture, water, and circular economy, which includes carbon and materials and buildings as well. And so, you know, we, we've just seen an incredibly vibrant, thriving tech ecosystem as we go out for applications in these five verticals. But that also makes selecting companies a real challenge. And so in addition to the things that typical investors look for, and, and we do have a piece of our companies, they donate warrants to us, or we have a, a slice of equity in them. So we're looking for companies that can really scale and grow and grow their impact. But in addition to sort of the financial side and the team and traction, which you know, typical investors will look at, we're also looking for a couple of other dimensions. So one is that we're looking for things that are locally deployable and globally scalable. So what that means is we're looking for companies that are actually solving key problems in the places where we're most active. So in particular, Hawaii, California, and Asia, but then can be scalable across markets around the world. So in that part of the process, we work really closely with sort of corporates and others to figure out what that looks like. And then through that also, we have a process that we call community marketplace, where we're essentially bringing in community members as well as corporate leaders into our diligence process and running through the traps with a bunch of companies to say, what are the things that are sort of most interesting to you? What's unique from something you've seen before? What do you want to learn more about? And so we actually get that input on the front end as opposed to selecting companies and then going out to our partners and saying, hey, do you want to deploy with this company? So that marketplace step is really important to us to get kind of that feedback loop accelerated. And then finally, what, another dimension we're looking at is um, what we call equity and access. So for about three years now, we've been running our equity and access track that specifically deploys technology for and with frontline communities. So these are communities that have less access to opportunity and are overexposed to pollution and environmental stresses. And they typically would be the last to see the benefits of technology innovation in their neighborhoods. In our equity and access track, we're flipping that equation and saying these neighborhoods should see the benefits of technology innovation first. Um, and so through that, we are looking for founders that really understand those communities, ideally founders from frontline communities or founders of color, women, diverse founders that bring diverse sort of sets of experiences to starting a company. Um, and that becomes a really important criteria for us. So, you know, in our last cohort, for instance, 35% of the founders we selected were women and over 40% of the founders were people of color. So it's really taking that lens and saying this can be a, you know, a huge advantage in deploying technology for the communities that need it the most. That's incredible work. I love that you all focus on the communities that need it most. I mean, it's such, a, such an obvious thing, right? Well, I think and you know, as someone who lives in the Bay Area here, and obviously you have a presence here as well, but um, it is funny because a lot of times like San Francisco and Bay Area cities are like always the guinea pig for every type of technology thing because, you know, that's where a lot of tech companies are, which is hilarious because my internet is still terrible all the time, no matter where <laughs> I am. Um, so uh, it's not working that well. But we also, for a bunch of the reasons from a climate change perspective, from just a general resilience perspective, we also have a lot of interesting challenges here with, you know, obviously earthquakes and uh, being coastal and all those things. So it's funny because you have a lot of, you know, technology plus a lot of 
you know, industry leading um, business practices around, you know, like lead certifications and carbon neutral buildings and all that stuff here. And it's great to have cities that are are a good example for other cities, specifically if we're talking in America, that want to act like those. But at the end of the day, it's like we need to corral the smartest startups and the people from all over the world, the smartest minds from those you know local places and put that intellectual capital to work on their own problems and give them money to do that. And at the end of the day, if they don't have resources to do it, then they can't do it. Yeah, it's the barrier one is really kind of interesting because when we started leaning into Bay Area work in partnership with with Emerson Collective, who's the you know, investment and philanthropic platform of Learning Powell Jobs, we partnered with in 2017. We started really leaning into this California work. We were testing the hypothesis that what we were learning in Hawaii about deploying technology in geographic islands and you know, the ability to in some ways move quite fast because it's a small place and energy was very expensive. And so there was this huge sort of like market and political impetus to drive that transformation, which is well underway. I mean, we've gone from about 8% renewable energy 10 years ago to about 30% renewable energy today. So that transformation is underway. But the the hypothesis was that some of what we were learning in, in these geographic islands could be applied to essentially economic islands in the Bay Area. And while we've seen a lot of differences, of course, we've also seen that there's so many similarities between the economic islands of the Bay Area and neighborhoods and areas that sort of been left behind of the, the tech revolution and sort of the economic benefits there. Oh, yeah. Um, so a lot of things that we've been doing in Hawaii, you know, can be really directly applied specifically around this idea of how you bring community-based organizations and how you partner to deploy things in in neighborhoods that are small, closely knit, <laughs> you know, really value their sense of place, all the things that, that we really care about, those things are more universal than we initially thought. Well, and I think that here, one of the best examples is how much the businesses choose. And we talked about this a bunch on the show, so I don't need to repeat it all, but how much the businesses here choose to make a difference when it comes to those things, to make carbon neutral buildings, to do things like that. It's a, it makes a huge difference. But I think that where it starts is that companies and like technology leaders, um, like the ones listening to this show, you know, actually vote with with their dollars by investing in you know startups that are making a difference in these in these perspectives. So I want I want to go back to what you were talking about about getting those you know bottom up refinement from the actual you know corporate leaders that are looking for solutions in the certain spaces that you're talking about. How does that work? And how do those folks like uh, you know, plug in and be able to look at some startups, be able to provide feedback. Sure. So just give a couple examples because we've just been going through our, our pipeline the last couple months. In the first quarter of each year, we're, we're recruiting startups. So from all over the world, we had from startups applied from over 50 countries, you know, Israel, Australia, Japan, Spain, we see it all. And as those startups come in, we start we have directors of innovation in these different verticals that sort of start sorting and working with the partners to see what's interesting to them. Out of that pipeline, we set up meetings with our corporate partners and the startups that we're looking at. We have a couple of mechanisms that we're, we try out and we're always iterating on, one of which we call deal day. So essentially, that's like a mechanism where we're introducing all the startups to the corporates and we're saying, if there's something that's really interesting to you, if you guys can, you know, think on paper, 
even for just an intention of a project um, within about three weeks, then we'll give you a $50,000 prize to the startup to go do that with you. So just, just thinking about ways that we can make the sort of purchasing and procurement easier for folks that lead innovation at these large corporates and remove the barriers to work with a startup to try something new, to do something impactful. So for instance, last year, our deal day prize winner was a company called Jupiter Intelligence. And Jupiter assesses the climate risk of floods, wind, hurricanes, all kinds of different potential climate risks. And so their customers are insurance, utilities, financial institutions, even large infrastructure players, right? All the folks that are exposed to some kind of climate risk. And so when we were, we, we did it in person last year, this year we did it virtually and it was also awesome. Essentially, it's a time for startups and corporates to get together, meet each other, and then say, yes, this is something that makes a lot of sense for us to try out together. So Jupiter won that deal day prize last year. We actually ended up funding them, bringing it into our portfolio. And they completed a project here in Hawaii with Hawaiian Electric Industries and Hawaiian Electric Company to assess climate risk across the utility, brought in lots of stakeholders and the regulators to really create buy-in around what does that look like? And it's so powerful to actually be able to say, like, you know, with 30% accuracy, this substation will probably have a foot of water on it within the next, you know, six to seven years. And having that kind of data really helps utilities and other large corporates make good decisions. So that's one mechanism that we use where startups can partner with corporates. And then we also fund actual projects with those corporates that with the companies that we select out of our portfolio. So we're looking for projects that can scale at least 10x within two to three years. And so corporates have a huge incentive to find this innovation that will be truly impactful for their business. And that's the work that we do with them. I have to ask about, you have a portfolio company that helped my great city of Oakland recently. Can you share a little bit about Remix and, and what they're working on? Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. So, so Remix is a mobility planning company. They have dozens of customers of cities all over the country. They've basically taken what used to sort of be like paper and pencil planning and lots of different sort of departments across a city and brought many of these different planning tools and methodologies online um, into one platform so that planners and mobility operators and all these folks can actually collaborate on their city and coming up with a mobility plan that really works for the city. So they've worked with Oakland um, and as part of our equity and access track. And what I'm really excited about about this project is that Remix had a vision to include equity as one of its planning sort of tools and criteria. But it's very difficult to actually do that. It's much easier said than done, I guess. And one of the reasons is that you know, if you're sort of setting up these criteria as a private company and as a startup, how are you really ensuring that the broader community trusts the methodology that you're using to do that? That's a tall order. So what, what we did as part of our equity and access track is to bring in a community-based organization that works specifically on mobility and justice, um, transform, to partner with Remix and to lead the community convening to bring in those voices to say, this is what we think an equity tool should measure. Here's the criteria we think it should look at. Here's the kind of results and metrics we think are important. And so together, they worked on designs for this tool to essentially build equity into that tool. And what's really exciting about it is that cities actually really want this information. They want to know if we put a road here or if we put 
bike lanes here, or if we sort of redesign this highway, what will be the equity impact? But until now, there hasn't really been a tool for them to do that. So that's the work that we're doing with Remix. And I'm just really, really excited about being able to sort of empower entrepreneurs to do that and unlock what they already want to do in a really sort of productive and credible way by working with community-based organizations and others. Yeah. I mean, we talk a lot on the show about how like the best companies are taking things that, you know, kind of going from dumb to smart, right? And I think a lot of times we get caught up in like the jargon of, you know, smart cities and smart this and smartphones and smart watches and all that stuff. But when you're talking about something like cities where we're not quite there yet with the number of sensors that we need, like I, I forget, it's probably a hundred episodes ago, but we had a, an expert on the show talking about the number of sensors that are in like new cars now and like what, you know, self-driving will actually take and things like that. Well, in the meantime, before we get there, we need to know what is going on like currently on the day-to-day and companies like Remix, it's really cool to see how obviously critical urban mobility is. I think with, you know, especially what we've seen with COVID and shelter in place, like people being able to like drive around their cities to get where they need to go in a lot quicker time. And I think we probably all collectively realize like, yeah, this would be a lot nicer if we could figure out how to reduce uh, traffic significantly. So it's cool to see companies like that step up. I'm curious, like, what are the next steps for companies like that? Like after you make that initial investment, are they just like any other startup? Is there, you know, what, what's it like? Yeah. I mean, after we make that initial investment, we're essentially co-developing that project with them and co-implementing it with them and the community partner. So for a lot of the projects we fund, we're sort of right there alongside them for a couple of years making this happen. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. I just didn't realize that you had that level of that you were like tracking throughout the project, like along with them. That's really awesome. Yeah. It's, it's kind of this really privileged spot to be in, I think, to be able to work with companies in this way. So we actually work really closely with them to implement the projects. You know, when we first started Elemental in 2012, we were the first to apply quote unquote accelerator to like hard tech and clean tech. And what had happened was we just had started by funding projects, but had realized that many of the companies we were funding were sort of missing that commercial angle. We're missing a business model that could really scale. And it's not easy in climate tech sometimes to find that business model. So I took a lot of inspiration from Y Combinator, from Techstars, from others that were applying this sort of accelerator. And they're pretty new. It was pretty new back then, uh, applying this sort of accelerator concept. And then took that idea and said, how do we apply this to some of these really hard regulated sectors, climate tech, energy, mobility? And so we've, we've borrowed a lot of those same concepts of having a cohort of selecting companies all at the same time so they actually have ways they can complement each other and benefit each other, of getting them together a lot and having them work very closely together and support each other as CEOs. But then like, one of the key differences is that this space just takes a little longer to implement things, to get stuff in the ground, to capture learning. And so we work with companies from anywhere from one to three years and then really forever. <laughs> but really intensively for one to three years while we're helping them deploy projects and while we're sort of walking alongside them in that process. So, you know, for us, once that project's done, for instance, the goal there is to productize that equity piece and be able to sell that to many other cities and bring that equity consideration into planning much more globally. 
and we'll continue sort of working with with Remix as a company and as part of our portfolio throughout that whole process. Yeah, we had Ryan Popple, the CEO of Proterra, on uh, a while back, and it was interesting talking to him about you know some of the challenges with clean energy and, and the way that cities work and that they buy. It's like the sales cycle for a new fleet of buses might be eight years because they just signed a 10-year lease or a 10-year contract or something like that. That you know you could have everybody on board in the city that's like, hey, yeah, we're good to go. Uh, everybody's on board with this, but we have eight years left of the you know fleet of buses that we just bought or something like that. Like it's just it's a very different ecosystem, and it does require a totally different skill set. I'm so curious, like what is it like for those fifteen companies a year, like that cohort that goes through that? What are the things that you know they're doing day to day with you all versus you know? going off on their own and doing things? What does that look like? Yeah, great question. And I really agree with you about the city's piece. So our our director of mobility innovation, Danielle Harris, came to us from San Francisco MTA, where she was leading up innovation for them. And I think, and that's what's really fun about working in this space is that of the 30 people on our team, you know, some come from utilities, some come from government, some come from startups, but it's sort of that like crashing together of all those worlds that makes things really fun and dynamic. And those folks essentially, you know, become extensions of our portfolio company's team in terms of helping them deploy. So, I mean, what it looks like now is, is kind of interesting. Like every year we host a CEO and leadership summit for our companies. This year it was in Hana, Maui, and we had, you know, about 80 people out there. And it was right before work from home orders started. So it was in early February. And I felt really fortunate that we were able to get people together in person because as soon as work from home started or stay at home started, we pivoted everything online, of course. And what that's looked like for us now is that essentially once a week we have portfolio-wide conference call, we call it, where essentially their companies are sort of sharing something that they're figuring out over COVID and sharing it with others. And there are so many different aspects of this, right? It's about how you engage teams remotely. It's about how you can remotely install hardware or sort of like keep hardware sales going during COVID, about remotely filling the funnel without conferences, like, you know, all these different sort of things that people are figuring out and then have questions about or want to share with each other. So that's one thing we're doing. We're also, you know, just focused on engaging like our, our networks and corporate partners remotely. In some ways, you know, because our community is so global, it's just you know, sort of lends really naturally to a digital convening format. And I think it's been pretty powerful because it's less time spent traveling and sort of like back and forth and, and more time with each other since folks know each other really well already. So it's, like, you know, like a couple different things and just constantly sort of learning and experimenting like what could be the most impactful way to get entrepreneurs who are all sort of swimming in the same water and fighting the same fights together and doing their work faster with each other. So what's next? What is, uh, what's the next kind of future of this? Like obviously, you know, with the pandemic and everything being a huge caveat, because we don't know what the future is going to hold here, but um, what's next for Elemental? Yeah, I mean, I think most importantly, and throughout this pandemic too, the reality is we really can't afford to take a year off from working on climate. We have to keep momentum going. We have to keep investment coming into these companies and, and things moving forward. We've been really gratified to sort of see that momentum continue with our companies. 10 of them closed rounds last month. I mean, there's just a lot of investment activity and sort of momentum still in this sector. 
So I think that's the most important thing is sort of keeping, keeping the momentum, keeping folks going. We're, you know, executing some, some new funding tools for our companies, kind of keep them pushing forward into new opportunities that come from COVID. So I think keeping momentum is, is really key. I think the other piece that's really interesting right now is diving in with corporates even deeper. So in the first quarter of this year, before COVID hit, we saw some really amazing and aggressive sort of corporate commitments around net zero and carbon neutral or carbon negative. That's a really important market signal that drives innovation and investment into this space. And so, you know, continue to support companies in getting there. It's going to be a path and a journey for every single one. <laughs> Everyone's going to look a little different. No two are alike, but it's absolutely doable. And there's some incredible entrepreneurial talent to deploy toward those goals. And then I think the other piece that we're really interested in right now is continuing to focus on, on policy as a lever. So we've done a lot of work in, in policy to date, but you know, you're, the technology, let's just sort of appreciate this, but I think there's always this gap between technology and policy, right? So one of the things that we think a lot about is how do you shrink that gap to sort of the right distance? And I'll give you just a, a quick example, which is one of our portfolio companies, Carbon Cure, they take carbon dioxide and inject it into concrete. So then they sequester it forever and it's stronger and it's not more expensive to do this. And so we funded a project with them in Hawaii. We tested the concrete at a highway interchange here. The Hawaii Department of Transportation loved it. They said, this is great. It's going to help us reach our carbon neutral goals. And we passed a resolution at the city to prefer this kind of purchasing in all city procurements for carbon infused concrete. And then worked with the Conference of Mayors to adopt that resolution in hundreds of cities around the country. Um, So policy has a real role to play in helping sort of set those demand signals for the market. And I think our role is to bring the innovation into the market to show people that it's real, like you said, where the rubber meets the road. (laughs) When they see it, they can believe it. And so, you know, our role is to get those projects in the ground and then get policymakers really excited about what this means for them. And the same is actually true on the corporate side because we can use you know, same kind of carbon infused concrete for corporate headquarters, for any kind of corporate buildings and really start driving the market that way. So those are a couple of things we're really interested in is how do you shrink the distance between corporates and innovation? How do you shrink the distance between policy and innovation and sort of line up those demand signals so that we have the best entrepreneurs and the best talent coming into climate innovation and seeing a real path to grow a meaningful company. And this is uh, going to date this episode a little bit, but Jeff Bezos announced that Seattle's NHL uh, home is going to be Climate Pledge Arena. So, I mean, I think that there's clearly signals uh, in the market, obviously, you know, Salesforce Tower being one of those, and they're Salesforce is the amazing sponsor of the show, but also clearly a huge player in climate change. Clearly, you know, a lot of the you know, senior business leaders are trying to figure out ways to make a difference. And, you know, maybe I'm just like a startup person <laughs> and uh, I just love startups, but it's just really cool to see an organization like yours investing in the people who are going to make these changes. Because I think at the end of the day, like you just have to throw a bunch of talent at the problem, especially like, you know, local diverse talent and see what sticks because. At the end of the day, like innovations for this stuff, I think is uh, is going to come from you know a, you know a ton of different areas. 
Yeah, I mean, that. I think that technology piece is so critical. I mean, the role of these technology companies in being customers and early customers for climate startups or startups that are solving really hard problems in water, mobility, environment, it just can't be overstated. It's so absolutely critical for um, the survival and, and success of these companies. And the other like side of it is that we're also seeing a huge amount of tech talent coming into climate, starting companies, sort of working in this space, people who you know, have product management background, have other sort of deep technology background, and then want to apply that expertise to these challenges. So I think there's a, a really important nexus to build on there. And it's actually really just been gaining so much momentum, I would say even in the last two years, uh, I've seen even many more founders coming from technology world than before, where we saw many more coming from sort of science and PhDs and, and research world. And now they're finding folks from technology world and getting together and building really interesting companies. So I have a lot of uh, optimism for, <laughs> for the future and, and bringing that talent to bear, just like you said. Well, for those of our uh, corporate leaders who are listening to this, how can they tap into what you're doing? And maybe reshare uh, the different areas that you all focus on. Sure. Yeah. So the areas we focus on are energy, mobility, food and agriculture, water, and circular economy, um, which includes sort of materials and buildings, but really anything that has an environmental nexus, something that we're looking at. We love partnering with corporates, particularly ones that are sort of on this journey into net zero or into significantly reducing their environmental footprint. It's one of the like best parts of our job, I think, to work with those corporates to connect them to the right companies. I mean, I think the advantage we bring to those corporates is that we have really good information and we have really good access to the best companies. So we have a sense of what's happening you know, across the market and really good access to these startups and entrepreneurs. And you know, our reason for being is to make those connections happen, happen quickly. And then on the back end to see technology pilots and deployments, to see investment and to see acquisition. Those are the three KPIs that we're tracking. So deployments, investment, acquisition. I mean, that's really where, where we're tracking. So for folks in the corporate side that want a window into what's going on in climate and you know, window into the a pipeline of 5,000 companies we've diligenced over the last couple of years, we'd love to partner with them. We're um, at elementalaccelerator.com and would love to talk to them about what their sort of trajectory is, how they're thinking about innovation, how they're thinking about sort of environmental footprint more broadly and work with us and meet some really just exceptional entrepreneurs who are working to solve these problems. And then I think the other piece of it to, to share is that as we're looking across sort of the spectrum, we're also funding and supporting a ton of youth programs into startups. Um, and this is also something that many corporates have in spades, but it's fascinating. I mean, this year we opened up our internship program. I think we had, you know, about 20 or 25 spots. We had 350 applications from youth, incredibly talented, diverse youth who want to work in this sector. Um, many of them first generation, first in their family to go to college. And we have a specific program for first gen youth. And so what we learned sort of across those 350 interns, because once we selected a group, we were then thinking about, okay, well, how do we, how do we support other sort of youth and, and really on-ramp them to this, this space? And what they want to work on is they want to work on climate. And they're like, well, I'm sort of interested in marketing, but maybe business, but maybe finance. But really, I just want to work on climate. This is the problem I want to solve. So it just feels like a, an amazing opportunity for 
for tech companies and for startups to tap into that kind of groundswell of interest and support and start building really strong talent pipelines that come from many diverse communities, you know, in locations all over the country, really. I love it. I couldn't agree more. That's, uh, it's exactly right. And it's exactly how I think we need to, we need to start thinking about this stuff because, and that's, you know, it's a lot of the importance with, uh, you know, STEM education and getting people uh, from a young age interested in making a difference, right? That, uh, you know, planting a tree makes a big difference, but, you know, there's more and more and more as you can do with your actual career and kind of keep that going. It's, it's a huge part of it. Yeah. And it's so eye-opening too. I think, you know, we had an intern a couple of years ago who interned with one of, with us and then also interned with one of our companies. We, we place a lot of interns in our startups. She has now gone to start her own company and said, you know, just never could have imagined that this would be possible. Like I always thought it, she was at Stanford even. And she's like, oh, I still thought I was going to consulting, you know, even in sort of the heart of Silicon Valley, but now she's starting her own company. It's just, it's really incredible to sort of see the, the passion and ideas that can come out of this when we create some of those initial on-ramps. And I think, you know, text has a, still a huge role to play in making that possible. Okay. Let's get into our lightning round. Our lightning round in this podcast are brought to you as always by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. You can go to salesforce.com slash platform to learn more. We love Salesforce. They've been with us since the very beginning of this show. So check them out, salesforce.com slash platform to learn more. Lightning round questions. Dawn, are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> number one, how do you get any work done when you live so close to the beach? <laughs> that is a good question. I mean, uh, and the lightning answer, I do lots of walks, walk and talk. <laughs> you get to benefit from both. Yeah, there you go. What is your favorite app on your phone? <laughs> I, I love my uh, California ISO Today app that shows the real-time California energy markets. If you weren't CEO of Elemental Accelerator, if you were doing something else entirely, what would you be doing? I think I'd be starting my own company. It's starting another company in this space. I think entrepreneurship is the path to solutions for our biggest problems. And I'd be starting another company. It's kind of cheating, but I'll allow it. <laughs> or I'd be spending more time hanging out with my one-year-old, <laughs> which I try to do too. Yeah, there you go. I, I heard the one-year-old in the background a little bit. I was going to say hi. <laughs> and uh, She wants to be your next guest on the podcast, I think, from what I can hear. Yeah, she does. No, she, she's a guest now. That's great. Bring them young. Hey, you know, as many listeners as we can get, spread the word <laughs> if she listens. That's perfect. Man, the go to bed, you know, listen to some IT visionaries. What is the best advice for a first time CEO? Build your kitchen cabinet of champions. I think it's that, it's that group of people right around you that really believe in what you're doing and can help in ways you never thought was possible. And also get through some really tough times. So, you know, I'm, I've been so fortunate to have mentors and champions and folks around me that I can really rely on and trust. And it's been invaluable to me. That's great advice. Do you have a habit or something that you've picked up during shelter in place? Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I get to have lunch with my, with my baby now. <laughs> I guess it's a good habit, huh? I feel so fortunate for that. Yeah, I think the other habit I've picked up is, is even five minutes of yoga in the morning makes a huge difference for the day. So we can figure that out. It's a good day. 
What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? <laughs> I guess one might be sort of just to what we were talking about at the end, which is what is sort of our responsibility to our youth right now and kind of on-ramping them to this sector or sort of supporting their journey. I just wish people were thinking more about that, like in terms of what, what actually is your responsibility as someone who, you know, <laughs> was in that position at one time and now has lots of creative ways that can be deploying their sort of skills and networks and resources. How, how can we think differently about that responsibility? That's great. That's it. That's all we got for today. Don, thanks so much for joining. We really appreciate it. Everyone can check out elementalaccelerator.com to learn more. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Um, I think I'm just you know, really grateful for the work that so many in our sector have done and, and the ways that people in every job and whatever job they have or sort of whatever role they have are leaning into climate and youth and solving really big problems too. I mean, it's just been, I think you know, we saw at the beginning of 2020, just a huge sort of swell of action and activity in that. And I'm just excited for the future and to see that continue. So I'm grateful. Awesome. Thanks so much, Tom. Talk soon. Thanks. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform. <laughs>